poor Edgar, Mother said, thinking of her elder son away somewhere in France. Clumsily, she began stacking the plates from breakfast. Tom, my other brother, rose to help her. Edgar is fine, Father said. He's a strong young man. No harm will come to the strong. Now he looked up from his paper for the first time to fix his eyes on Tom. Tom ignored him and carried the plates out to the kitchen. Father started to read the casualty lists again. I don't know why he has to do it. He spends all day with the sick and the dying in the hospital. I thought about George. He'd been at the front. He'd been killed. That was not unusual. Not anymore. But I had dreamt that it had happened. The night before news of it had reached us. Was that possible? Over the following days, I tried not to dwell on it. I continued my studies during the day with Miss Garrett, and in the evenings I sat with Mother. She's always busy organising her circle of friends, as well as Molly, our maid, who's sweet but scatterbrained. Although I tried to forget George, I couldn't. Images of his death came to me. I don't know where from. I saw him caught on the wire that we were always hearing about. But that may have been my imagination. I don't know how he died. I was frightened, but the days passed and I told myself it was a coincidence. Thousands of men are being killed in France each week, and the fact that I dreamt about the death of one of them could be nothing more than chance. But after what happened yesterday, I can no longer pretend it is my imagination. Mother and I were walking down Middle Street. We passed the Hippodrome, where I used to love to go to see the circus when I was little. The sea was in front of us. It's late October, and there was a grim, grey sky above us. Waves were being whipped against the sea wall by fierce winds. It looked as if it might rain any moment. We'll take the tram, Mother said. So we turned and cut through to the old steam, to the stop outside Marlborough House. There was a long queue. When the tram arrived, the ladies jostled a little to be first on. Mother looked at the gathering clouds. Come on, Sasha, she said, taking my hand. Sometimes she still uses my pet name, as though I'm her little Russian princess. No, I said. She glanced round at me, surprised. I didn't know what was wrong. I just knew I didn't want to be on the tram, that I mustn't be on it. A soldier waiting behind us was impatient. He pushed past, bumping into me as he got onto the tram. He spun round on the step. I stared straight into his eyes. Sorry, gorgeous, can't hang about, he said. There was a cheeky smile on his lips. But as he looked at me, the smile lost its life and died on his face. I knew he was going to die. I don't know what else I can say. I saw it. Not in France, not in the war, but soon, here. Are you all right? Mother said, thinking I was unwell. I don't want to go on the tram. Mother sighed. We'll walk, she said, and the tram moved off. But I couldn't move. It was as though I was rooted to the spot. It all happened very slowly then. 
but somehow very quickly too. The tram got up to speed and rumbled away towards Grand Parade. The rain began to lash down then, very suddenly. A wheel lifted from the track somehow. The tram came off the rails and lay down on one side with a tremendous crash. It hit a wall and there was a shower of sparks and rubble. I was aware of noise all around us. The noise of the tram hitting the wall seemed to take the longest time to reach us and to be the quietest sound. The sound of screaming was the loudest. Mother finally dragged me away. The police had arrived and ambulance cars took the injured to the Royal Sussex, where father used to work until he was put in charge of the Dyke Road Hospital. I still feel I should have done something. I should have helped. This morning I read in the paper that most people in the accident had not been too badly hurt. But that one